Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, a message I call, Now and Then. Now and Then. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abides faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. <laughs> Our passage today is a part of Paul's extended discussion. Started all the way back in chapter 12. Going to go through all the way chapter 14. Uh, preached through 1 Corinthians back in 2017. This was part of what I did, but a different message today. Uh, you might remember, probably, uh, just for familiarity with this epistle, that uh, uh, this is a part of an extended discussion of the spiritual gifts. And specifically, uh, he's going to tell us that some of those, uh, the gift of revelation, uh, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, were going to cease and they were going to cease, he would say, when that which is perfect has come. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And he was talking about, of course, the completion of God's revelation. We know in part. That is, we have partial uh, gift of knowledge, partial revelation. We have partial prophecy. Uh, but when that which is perfect has come. And that came. It came at the end of the apostolic era. Uh, as God put a period on the book of Revelation, then his uh, inspired revelation to us was completed. He was talking about there's no question about it in this passage in my mind, although there are many who would dispute that. I recognize that. Uh, but it uh, seems very clear that Paul was talking about a time when that gift of prophecy, that gift of revelation was going to be replaced. It's going to be ended by uh, then the coming of God's perfect word, that which is in part would be replaced with what was complete. But he also directs our attention in our text today to a then, a now, and a then. And he identifies that then as a time when we'd have some face time, face to face time, I should say, with God. And we'll know then as we are known, and that projects our thinking then into the eternal ages when we will enjoy our time with God and His people forever in heaven, now and then. Now, this is one of those expressions we love in the South. Every now and then, when we say that, it means something that happens sporadically, irregularly, unpredictably, as opposed to something that's going on all the time, or regularly, or very predictably. Every now and then, that's something we say a lot, but that's not really what Paul is talking about in the passage. He is contrasting, for the most part, Things that are for the now, that is for this life. And things that are for the then. And uh, that is in the eternal ages, in the eternal times. The Bible speaks often about both sides of this equation. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about now, the things relating to this life. And the then, things related to our time together in heaven. Now, James was particularly blunt in his discussion of things relating to this life. In James chapter 4 and verse 13, he said, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. 
whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Great question. Great answer. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. It's like steam, just for a moment. Morning mist, just for a little time. And then it moves away. That's what your life is. James reminds us then about this life, about the now. And he tells us that it is uncertainty. He gives us information about the uncertainty of it. You don't know what a day is going to bring. How many times do we live that out in our life? We get up in the morning, we take a shower, we're getting ready for work, we think we know what our day is going to be, and pow! All of a sudden, everything changes. Something we didn't see coming. We had no idea that it was going to happen. And of course, that goes on all over this world. It has happened already who knows how many times today, this very morning. How many people? They have been reminded of the uncertainty of life. We do not know what a day is going to bring. He also emphasizes, of course, the brevity of this life. When he talks about how that our life is here and then it's gone, it's like a wisp of steam, a wisp of smoke. It's here and then it's gone. And in re relation to those two things, the uncertainty and the brevity of life, he then talks about that person who's making plans. Well, I'm going to go to this city or that city. I'm going to buy and sell. I'm going to make a profit. And considering the uncertainty and the brevity of life, James said that conduct is foolish. I don't believe when it comes to thinking about the now and life that the uncertainty and the brevity of life means that we just have to live without any plans at all. No organizational structure. What are you going to do tomorrow? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. It'd be hard to live like that. I don't think that's what James is calling us to. But he does tell us specifically, verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Number one, we shall live. And number two, then, I'll do this. So instead of just going through life saying, well, I'm going to do this tomorrow, I'm going to go there, buy, sell, make a profit, I'm going to go to work, whatever it is that we have planned to do for Monday. It's Sunday, but Monday's coming. Uh, what am I going to do? As believers in Christ, you and I then, according to James, need to live our lives with the awareness that if I get another day, God gave it to me. It is the will of God. God has given me a day. If the Lord gives me another day, and that ought to constantly be on my mind. I may not have another day, but if I get one, if God's will then is for me to have another day, and if God's will then, if God allows me, then this is what I'm going to do. As Christians then, we need to have a different perspective than just that person getting out their day planner and putting down all the things they're going to do. Without ever a thought, I may not get a day. Without ever a thought, God might have other plans. Then he goes on from there, and again, still talking about the now, this life. He goes on from there to tell us, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him 
It is sin. So here we are making out our day planner. What am I going to do tomorrow? There it is. God, if you give me a tomorrow, <laughs> these are some of the things I hope to be able to accomplish unless you have other plans. But if God interrupts our plans and gives us another assignment, gives us the opportunity to do good, we didn't plan on it, but it just drops in our lap. Here's an opportunity maybe to do something else, something that we hadn't planned on. We can't just look at such opportunities and say, well, I'm not sure I can fit that in. No, if God gives us the opportunity then to be a blessing to somebody, if God gives us that opportunity to witness to somebody, if God gives us that opportunity to reach out to someone in some way, and we see that and we recognize that, we don't need to respond to God by saying, too busy. Not today. We do that a lot. Well, I can't do it right now. Maybe I'll get to it next week. And we know, and even the great theologian Garth Brooks knew that tomorrow never comes sometime. <laughs> what if tomorrow never comes? Well, tomorrow doesn't come a whole lot when it comes to doing those good things. That opportunity comes and we see it, we recognize it, we let it go. A lot of times it's gone forever. That's why James says to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Sometimes God may interrupt our plan. He has every right to, amen? After all, we've already established if I get another day, God gave it to me. So if it comes to me as a gift from God, doesn't he have the right, and of course he does, to interrupt my plans for that day? To give me the opportunity to do something good in his service, for his kingdom, for his glory. What is your life? Don't let the uncertainty and the brevity of life take away from the things God gives us the opportunity to do. Now, not only does the Bible speak then of the brevity of life and the uncertainty of life, but it also talks about what I call the divinity of life. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. What a profound truth that that statement gives us about our life. Christ lives in me. Now, if Christ, as the Son of God, is currently on the throne in heaven, and he is, then exactly how does Jesus Christ, then the, the Son of God, live inside of us? How can he be on the throne and in you and me at the same time? Well, I'm glad you asked that because there's an easy answer for it. John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. John 14 and 20, at that day, at that day when this happens, he says, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
You see, it's the great mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the simple reality of it is to have the Holy Spirit in us is to have Jesus in us, to have Christ in us, the Son of God. Because Jesus Christ is in the Father and we're in Him, then we're in the Father too. This is the glorious and incredible doctrine of the believer's union with Christ. The presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is real in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. What that means is, is it moves us into a new category of life. Because quite frankly, when it comes to our life, this life, the life that is now, not only is it uncertain, not only is it brief, but there just never seems to be enough of it. Can anybody say amen to that? Walk out through the cemetery, anywhere you want to go. And you'll see all over the cemetery those signs that tell you when somebody born, was born, when they died. Every one of them, every one of them would say those two dates were too close together. That's not only true when a young person's life is cut short. I've heard the testimony of many people in their 80s and 90s. I've never yet been around someone who lived past 100 that I got to preach their funeral, but many in the 80s and 90s who say it just went like that. I can vouch for 59. And man, the clock is speeding up the older I get. Life is quick. James told us that. But it's not just in the accumulation of it. That is the sum total of the life that is now. We'd say, well, it's just not enough of it. Yeah, no matter how much we get, we want more. We need more. But it's also in that daily perspective of life. There just doesn't seem to be enough time to get around to everything that we need to do. There's not enough life to go around. I need it a little bit more somehow. But here's an incredible promise Jesus made in John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, super abundance. Instead of living life feeling like there's never enough life to go around, Jesus Christ takes up residence in our life. And because of that, there's a new dynamic in you and me that transports us from a life of insufficiency to a life of abundantly. Incredible truth. Incredible promise Jesus makes. And so when we begin to think about life, the life that is now, our, the now kind of life, well, the Bible speaks a lot about it. I could go on and on and on with this, bring up more and more scripture, because over 400 passages in the New Testament alone refer to the life that we're living right now. See, 1 Corinthians 13 not only talked about the now, but it also talks about the then. Projecting our attention to uh, what is to come, the eternal time, the time that we'll enjoy with God forever. And let me tell you right up front, that eternal life, just like this life, is a gift from God. John chapter 10, verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I give unto them. Those who believe on me, his sheep. That's what he's talking about in John chapter 10. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. 
It's impossible to enjoy an abundant life unless you're certain about eternal life. One goes together with the other. Jesus doesn't want you to be uncertain about your eternal destiny. Uh, you not, may not be sure about a lot of things in life. You may not be sure who you're going to vote for in 2020. Welcome to the club. You might not be sure uh, about all kinds of things. But there's one thing, folk, you have to be sure of, and I pray every person all around this building, right where you sit, you know for sure that you have eternal life because you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. He didn't stay dead. He, uh, he, he was buried, but the grave didn't hold him. He came out of the grave, and he lives today because he has given us the promise. He's alive. And he says, because I live, you shall live also. Whosoever then believeth on him, Jesus said, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can believe on him. Trust him. Call upon him. Ask him to save you. He will. But the emphasis on the eternal life is not just on the length of it, but it's also about the quality of it. John chapter 17 and verse 3, you'll see the words are turned around. And this is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We think of our loved ones who've gone on. We say they're in heaven, rightly so. We say they're with Jesus, rightly so. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's God's precious promise to us. The now. That's the life we live here and now. It's uncertain. It's brief. It can be divine because of the presence of Jesus Christ. And because of that presence, then he, he promises us an abundant life, an abundancy for life. Then there's eternal life. Like this life, a gift from God given to us. The now and then. Bible says so much about it. But here in this passage, our text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I, and I realize I've taken you a little bit in a circuitous route. You say, why did you do that? Because I felt led to do that. That's why. I don't have any other good explanation for it. Just wanted to talk to you about what the Bible says about life and about eternal life. Let us understand then that our life is a gift from God. It's not just mine to do with what I want to do with. We've defined it. The life that is now, the life that is to come. Now and then. Now that I've got that out of my system, we can go on and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and see how those things are put together in this passage. Now and then. Right up front then, we see that now is a time of limitation because you see he's going to contrast the now and then in this passage. Now is a time of limitation. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. 
the, the best we can do with what Paul is talking about here is to think about that old, old antique mirror stuck in a piece of furniture that you've looked at. Maybe uh, part of the silver on the back had been scraped away or just gone away and diminished through time. And when you look at it then, all you see is kind of a smoky, cloudy impression of yourself. Maybe you've never looked at an old antique mirror like that. Uh, then I'm sorry. That's the best illustration I've got of it. Let's just understand that in Bible times, most of the their mirrors were made of polished metal. And, and because of that, they uh, just uh, did not give a very good image. And so when they talked about looking at a mirror image, it wasn't like what we see when we look in a mirror, which is altogether <laughs> too perfect of an image of us. I'll tell you what, if they could make a mirror that would make us all look about 20 pounds skinnier, wouldn't we love that one? Make us look about 20 years younger. Wouldn't we love that one? Oh, no, it doesn't work. Gives us a very uh, clear image. But in Bible times, it was not so. So he talked about looking in a glass dimly. Maybe we could think about the image that we see of ourselves when you look in a car window. And we kind of see ourselves, but it's a dim, dim image of ourselves. So much of what we see about the things of God and even about ourselves now is dim and distorted. So many things that happen to us, we don't know why they happen. We don't know what it is that God intends to do with these things. So many things confuse us. So many things discourage us. It's not that we don't have revelation because remember... Uh, we've already established that Paul is talking about uh, in this passage, at least part of what he's discussing has to do with the coming of God's completed word to us. And that is an incredible book of revelation to us. God's word is true. It is trustworthy. It tells us so much about ourselves because as James said, we look in the perfect law of liberty and we see ourselves. We see ourselves as God sees us and has His Word then proclaims us to be. That Word is empowered under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And yet still with all of that, our vision of these things is dimmed and distorted. But Paul speaks of a time when there'll come that perfect revelation. We have limited sight now limited knowledge. I can sum that up in two ways. Though God has given us incredible revelation through His Word, the fact is, number one, our mind cannot grasp it all. It's too small. I have been studying the Word of God intently since I was 18 years old and started in seminary the first year. I'd studied it much as you study it, through church and through Sunday school and through my own personal daily Bible reading. But now, since I was 18 years old, for all these many decades, I've been studying the Bible intently. Folk, I don't feel like I have mastered the subject. I'm not even close. Every day, I'm finding new things and, and, and seeing new insight in the Word of God. The Word of God is alive. We read other books, but the, the Word of God reads us. And it is constantly working in us and showing us things. But our mind is just not big enough to see all of that. 
And then there's the other limitation on us right now. <laughs> Life's too short. We're not going to live long enough to get it all. So we see through a glass dimly. But oh, there's coming a time when we're going to see beautifully, perfectly. I look forward to the time when I can read the Bible without my eyes getting tired or my mind getting tired or my attention waning or getting interrupted. I look forward to the time where we can consider the Word of God and we don't have to worry about our next appointment or where we need to be next or where we're going to go next. Don't have that because we'll not be bound by the constraints of this mind and not be bound anymore by the constraints of time. Not only that, but if we have a question about something Paul wrote, we can just walk across that street paved with gold and ask him, Hey, Paul, what did you mean here? What a discussion that's going to be. I've got a feeling I might make that fellow tired just asking him. Are you again? No, I won't make him tired. There might be a long line. We see now through a glass dimly, but then face to face. And so while 1 Corinthians 13 and 9, which says we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect or complete has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. That very clearly, I think, speaks to us of the coming of the completion of God's word and revelation to us. Yet still, we're looking for that face-to-face time. When that, uh, I'll see clearly. Not hindered by time. Not hindered by sinful, sin-cursed mind and body. Now and then. That's the contrast. Then he moves away from the contrast, though, and then he goes to the things that abide, the content that is promised to us. And now, for the now, he says, abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. These gifts are particularly designed by God to help us in the now. While some of the spiritual gifts were temporary, the ministry gifts continued, but the miraculous gifts were were temporary in duration. But these abiding gifts that he mentions here, faith, hope, and love, all have their own particular function. He begins with faith. And in this life then, God gives us something to believe in. And it's not surprising to us at all that this is mentioned first because after all, we are called believers. I try to imagine a life with nothing to believe in beyond myself. I cannot fathom it. I try to imagine a life where I look out at the world and think that the world invented itself. I cannot imagine it. I try to think of a life where I have to walk up to the edge of that grave and look at it and say, that's the end. That's it. There's nothing left. I tried. I cannot Fathom, I cannot imagine a life without something to believe in. Aren't you glad that God has given us this marvelous gift of faith and he gives us then someone to believe in himself? 
I am indeed a believer, just like we sang about this morning. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that He's given us life. I believe that He's coming back again. I believe it. He gives us then hope. And that's something to live for. Hope has a very transient application in our life uh, because there are some things that we go through. (laughs) And thank God we understand then that we're going through them. Hope has a transcendent application, though, to the things that are to come. Because while we uh, understand we have to go through certain things, we know that I don't have to abide in this There's something to hope for. I'm going to pass through this. But not only does that happen on kind of a day-to-day basis, but it also happens on that ultimate basis because we know that death is not going to be the end, that this disease that leads maybe even to our death is not the end. One of these days, I've said it many times, you're going to pick up a newspaper if you live long enough and read an obituary, and it's going to say Richard Hamlin has died. Don't you believe a word of it? I will not have died. I will have merely changed locations. (laughs) To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's our hope. Our hope. Something to live for. And then lastly, there's love. Love gives us something to live with. Called the greatest of all of the gifts... Because Paul has already determined in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have all knowledge and understand all mysteries and all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. If I could give my body to be burned without love, it doesn't matter. Someone to love. And our supreme love, of course, goes to God Himself. Jesus affirmed the royal law for us as the greatest of all the commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And love your neighbor, one another. A new commandment, He followed that one up with. Give I unto you that you love one another. That would have been difficult. The challenge As I have loved you. Oh, what a challenge. But that gives us something to live with. There's a lot happens in this world that can give us a hard heart if we'll let it. But if the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, it won't let it happen. We keep loving God because God is worthy of all our love. We keep loving people because he told us to. Love them like Jesus did because the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. Something then to live with. Now, this life. All the Bible has so much to say about that. Then, the life that is to come. The life that you live now, the life that I live now, is a gift from God. The life that we're Living the eternal life, it too is a gift from God. Hope you live your life this morning under the awareness that the life that you have now is God's gift to you. 
And I hope this morning you have the confidence of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I don't know what may be on your heart this morning, some decision you might need to make. Some of you may need to trust Jesus as your Savior. Some of you may need to follow him in baptism, or you may be looking for a church home, believing God's leading you to be a part of our church family. We'd love to have you. Maybe this morning you're thinking about some business that you need to do with God. God, you put way too many good things in front of me that I've turned my nose up because I was too busy at other plans. And God, tomorrow, help me to recognize those good things that I do. And if it interrupts my schedule, so be it. So be it. So that I can bring my life, the days that you give me, more into keeping with your plan for me. I don't know what's on your heart today, but you do and God does. As we stand together then.